On this episode of The Playbook, I have Dr. Omid Farokzad, Chair, CEO, and founder of the incredible company, Seer. And we're gonna talk about identifying what interferes with what we already have, our health. Join me learning about proteomics and its platform here on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have an incredible scholar, but also rare enough, a serial entrepreneur, Omid Farukzad, chair and CEO, founder of Seer, and he deals, and I hope I pronounce this right, Omid, it's proteomics, uh, which is an entirely new space for me. So let's talk in Dave Meltzer's terms. I know they call it layman's terms. I call it Dave Meltzer's term because if Dave Meltzer can understand this, everybody will. Uh, so if you could just give me a little bit of background, including repronunciating proteomics and uh, give us some background on in layman's term, what exactly that is. Sure. Uh, David, thank you for having me on. Um, so proteomics is the study of the proteins in the body. And I think most folks uh, readily um, uh, see the big idea with genomics or the study of the genes and the DNA. So if you imagine the genes um, are the blue transcript of your information that the body has, the proteins are those information in the context of their function. So virtually anything that happens in the body happens because one protein or a group of proteins coming together to form a modules come together and they exert a function. So for example, enzymes that break things down or you know, molecules that allow uh, different things to cross the cell membrane, uh, just about anything, um, disease, health, there are changes in protein that basically dictates how the body functions. And the study of the proteome is to study the totality of this information in health and disease, um, you know, for, for clinical or for translational use. And, you know, in chemistry, you have proton, electrons, and neutrons. I've always been curious uh, with proteins, is there uh, opposite to a protein? Well, so proteins, if you imagine um, nucleic acid or DNA, is made with uh, with four building blocks. Proteins are built with 20 different building blocks. Those are naturally occurring building blocks. You can make synthetic building blocks, if you would. I think that's what you mean when you say opposite of them. So you can make synthetic building blocks, but the natural building blocks of proteins are 20 amino acids um, that uh, the DNA code for, and then they come together um, to form a chain and that chain forms a structure that then has you know a particular role or function in the body you know i grew up with a mom that uh stressed education and you know always said that if i wasn't going to invest in myself what would i ever invest in and if she said you know you've gone to the greatest schools in our country uh for so long she always said that you know if you think education is expensive try ignorance uh but beyond that what i found with hyper-intellectual academic people is that they get discredited because it actually elevates our awareness. And being able to understand things and process things 
uh, and equipped ourselves uh, with different perspectives and different uh, philosophies, processes, and information only elevates our awareness. As a serial entrepreneur, which I think is you know ultra conflictual to being you know a doctor and a scientist, uh, but you are an incredible business person as well. Um, a great business per person solves a problem. Uh, so with proteomics, what problem does that solve? Yeah. So David, um, again, if you look at um, what the proteomics enabled, it's just vastly huge. So um, take a look at, for example, um, therapies that we have today. Most, nearly all of those drugs work by exerting their effect on a function of a protein or a drug target. So those drug targets are very often a protein. Now, proteins are complex. So the more we study them, the more we understand their structure, uh, the variance of them um, in, in the population, the more effective drugs you can develop. Now, for example, take a look at diseases. So in this spectrum, of having, being healthy or having a disease, uh, your body goes through a gradual, uh, if you would, process where progressively you get sicker and sicker with an illness. During every bit of that stage of progression of disease, what is actually changing are the proteins in your body. So to be able to understand how are those proteins changing in health and disease, can help you develop much more effective diagnostics. You can even potentially diagnose diseases before symptoms setting. I think we're not many years away, David, from being able to detect cancers at the earliest stages um, of disease development before a patient even has symptoms, when in fact many cancers can be cured. Now, genomics in the last 15 years um, has scaled considerably. 15 years ago, with the introduction of next generation sequencing, we were able to look at uh, genomic content at a speed and scale that was previously not possible. What that enabled was that more and more um, genomes got sequenced. So today we have now sequenced over a million different genomes, over 10 million different exomes, which are the coding portion of the genomes. And the cumulative body of data that's been acquired has identified, you know, nearly 700 million genetic variants at the population level. Now, a subset of those variants are going to code for different protein variants. We have never been able to study the proteome at the same speed and scale that today we're able to study the genome. And what I hope our technology has enabled, and it's now a commercial product in the hands of customer, is that our scientific colleagues can now access the proteome in the same speed and scale that they could the genome and identify many of those protein variants that drive disease identify hopefully many, many new drug targets that can be used for treatment of diseases that range from cancers to neurodegenerative, really to just about anything. Um, and then that's only human health, David. 
you can imagine um, any living organism has proteins. So plants, ag bio could be impacted by the proteome, the microbiome field. Uh, we're obviously living in the world of the pandemic. And so the virome, understanding the proteins in a virus and frankly, understanding how does, how, why is it that individual response to a virus may be different? How come some of us get vaccinated and we do really, really well, but some of us get vaccinated and we actually get sick or very, very small minority? Uh, again, I think a significant part of those answers lies in the differences we have in our proteome and to be able to study it at scale is going to illuminate an enormous amount of information and insight, David, that I think will fundamentally change the landscape of science and medicine. It, absolutely. What's so interesting is I got interested in your company because of my general philosophy of health. I believe that we are all healthy and what we want to do is focus or shift the paradigm into what's interfering with our natural state of being healthy. You know, what are we putting in nutrient wise, not just food wise, but you know, energy wise and, and people wise and ideas wise, all the things that I think interferes with our natural status of just being healthy. It seems to me that, you know, this science and this solution allows us to identify some of the things that are not as apparent as smoking and too much sun and not enough exercise and fatty foods or whatever else interferes uh, obviously with our health today. But in the same respect, you know, if we look 200 years ago, you know, there's certain things that we've, through technology, raised the awareness of. Which specific markets do you think will most benefit uh, from proteomics? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, translational medicine, um, um, basic research, we're going to basically catalog a lot of different protein variants, the pharmaceutical industry with drug development, the field of ag bio, uh, diagnostics. We're going to develop tons of, tons of new uh, approaches, uh, David, in diagnosing disease and also, um, you know, using uh, those approaches as a companion diagnostic to see which patients may actually be better for a particular treatment. Um, and then, you know, and, and fields like ag bio, microbiome, virome, I think that just the, the universe, and frankly, what's most exciting, David, is the end markets that we don't even know today. So for example, if I look back, uh, you know, 15 years ago, uh, when access to genomics at scale really became available, I, I don't think anybody would have predicted uh, back then that the field of liquid biopsy would be one of the end markets that would be uniquely enabled by access to the genomics. Um, and in fact, that is the case. So today, uh, there are a number of companies out there on the genomic space that are working at blood tests that look at genetic signatures um, to help diagnose disease, including early stage cancer. And so, you know, just like we could not have predicted back then that that would be the case, I think there are some obvious end markets in the proteomic space, the ones that I just highlighted for you. But I think it's kind of like internet in the 80s, David, right? In the 80s, could we have predicted today and the internet and what we do with it? I mean, I think maybe there'll be some genius futurists that could have done that back then, David, but you know, the rest of us mortals probably couldn't have. I have to interrupt you because I graduated law school 
to be an oil and gas litigator with a great job out of law school to work for an oil company as a litigator. And my mom, quote unquote, in 1992, I got a job in the internet instead. She told me, David, you're ruining your entire life. The internet's a fad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so, and my mom's an incredible, intelligent woman. But I think the general sentiment, because not everybody's as old as you and I that's listening, the general sentiment in the early 90s and late 80s about the internet was that it was just a fad and it may or may not even be around, uh, let alone what it represents today. So I just wanted to give some perspective and share that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and no, I appreciate it. So, David, so my prediction is that, look, there's some obvious end markets that are going to be radically changed by proteomics. And there's a number of new end markets that are going to be created entirely because of, of proteomics um, and a substantial that are going to be grossly expanded by proteomics. Um, I think the opportunity, again, David, is huge. Um, and I'm just excited to see what the scientific community will do with it because, you know, the real creativity will come from the folks in the lab who take the tools and do really interesting things with it. Um, what we have made possible is that virtually any scientist can uh, use an instrument that runs largely in an automated fashion. So um, it's an automated instrument, David, that in a matter of about seven hours can run 16 samples, and, and do you know a deep interrogation of the proteome. Um, and then you then use that in a detector and then we provide a data analytics suite that helps them go from that all that biological content, which by the way, there's a lot, to biological insight in bite-sized units that you can actually grasp and understand. And so I think the, the power of the platform is, and I hate to use the word, is in the democratization of the proteomics in that it takes the, the magic that only a few labs are able to do it now out and really lets everyone uh, you know, answer important scientific medical questions that could be uniquely enabled by proteomics. So that's quite exciting. That's very exciting. And you know, by the way, David, I usually say I'm the control experiment because remember, I'm not a proteomic expert. I ran a nanotechnology lab. So I say, if a nanotechnologist can use it and get good proteomic content, then it's become simple enough. If it works in my hands, it should work in most scientists' hands. So anyway. I love that. And to that matter, you know, it's so interesting because you are kind of the Ray Kroc, you know, of proteomics and compared to, you know, the McDonald brothers who created the Sir Speedy system, uh, which has had a significant impact uh, on our world, creating that uh, fast food type of system uh, that, makes your work even more important. Uh, but taking things to market is extremely important. And there's a million great ideas. There's some great scientists, engineers that I run into uh, whose ideas have never seen the light of day that would be earth shattering and have impact like uh, your platform as well. You were able you know, to take your company public. It's on the NASDAQ. What have you been able to accomplish since going public? Um. I would say, David, across kind of different dimensions, right? So the first is that um, having a well-capitalized company uh, can put you a bit in the offensive in terms of the kind of human capital that you can, um, you can gravitate toward the company. So we've added significant, um, a significant number of people to our team, number one. Second is 
um, we formed a number of important partnerships um, with other companies in the proteomic space who, whose products are complementary to us. So what SEER uniquely does is it allows us to sample the proteome across its entire dynamic range and to do it with exquisite robustness. Once that is sampled, it needs to go to a detector. So we partner with a number of important detector companies like Thermo Fisher, Bruker, Syax. Next is that um, we began to ship instruments to the hands of our customers. Um, and we had become a commercial company right prior to uh, our IPO. And, uh, and we had announced that we have this three-phase commercialization strategy. We're in the first phase. Um, we form collaboration with uh, important academic sites. Uh, in the second phase, uh, we would allow larger customers a limited release number of instruments and then finally brought commercial launch. And so we completed the, the collaboration phase of our commercialization, um, having shipped the instrument to the Broad Institute, um, Oregon Health Sciences, Salk Institute, uh, and Discovery Life Sciences. We then shifted into the limited release phase. We've already signed up a number of customers who've already begun to receive their instruments. Um, so that's also on the product side. And then, and then separately, I would say um, the next area has been that we began to um, increase our presence uh, in terms of exposing our science and findings and discoveries in conferences um, so that the scientific community actually sees what becomes possible when you have access to large amount of proteomic content. So we presented at a number of conferences um, and, and, um, and beginning to shift our attention uh, into publications, both from our group and our collaborators group. That's amazing. Uh, not that I'm gonna put you in the position that I put my mom in, but I am so interested in what you do see for the future of SEER and how and what impact uh, your company is gonna have. Um, no, no, that's not a difficult position, David. I appreciate the question. Uh, look, when I started SEER, um, uh, and this is obviously pre-pandemic, um, though I think we all knew that a pandemic would come, we just didn't know when. Um, I had said once that the folks at Illumina uh, are the most impactful uh, people in, in this century. And so I said this once and, and someone said to me, well, what about, you know, let's say like Steve Jobs and Apple? I said, well, that's interesting. Um, okay, so maybe in terms of market cap, you're correct and I'm incorrect because I think at the time maybe Illumina market cap was 50 billion and, you know, and, and, uh, and Apple was, was close to a trillion. Um, and so I said, Look, maybe in terms of market cap, you're correct. But I said, um, I'm not saying that Apple is all about the iPhone but at the end of the day, if I didn't have the iPhone, I could still be okay with a Samsung or something else. But, um, but imagine the world we live in without genomic content. How many cancers are we able to now diagnose? And, and treatments of cancer has fundamentally changed. Diagnosis of disease. You know, I said the world we live in is fundamentally different because of our access to genomic. And I said to the folks that were coming around the table, who either be my partners in terms of joining our management team or investors to invest in SEER, I said, look guys, 
I want us to look back a decade from now and have an impact, human impact, that is on par or greater than the impact that the team at Illumina had in terms of bettering the world. Uh, and um, and so, um, so my guess is that the future, David, would be diagnosis of disease at the pre-symptomatic level, enabled in large part because of adding proteomic content. Better drugs that are much more targeted and much more personalized because we'll know drug targets in a very different way that we know today, in a very personalized way. A lot of drugs are considered non-druggable. I think a lot of those may actually be possible to be drugged once we understand the differences in terms of the proteoforms that are functional in health and in disease. I also think that when, God forbid, the next pandemic hits, many, many thanks to our genomic colleague to have prepared us for it. Because imagine not being able to sequence and people, I mean, a lot of our early detection is because we could understand the viral genome very quickly so we could develop vaccines and we could do these rapid tests. So I think the genomic folks really um, positioned us well to fight this pandemic. But I think our fight against the next pandemic, having access to the proteomic information may even be more effective than the one it was with just genomic alone. So David, I do believe that the world will change uh, as, uh, as we begin to understand these functional units of life at the level that we just don't understand today, right? So, and, and you know, you can let your imagination go wild because frankly, I don't see any boundaries. I, I love it. It is limitlessness and existing in that instant between limitlessness and infinity is really what, to me, SEER represents the ability to identify the interference of our health before it actually interferes with our health in a simple layman's Dave Meltzer term, uh, really impacting our future. And it only because of technology and the speed in which we access data and can process that data, we know that it only will get exponentially better. And thank you so much for creating this platform. Thank you so much for coming on the playbook and educating us on proteomics or proteomics. And I'm getting it down. You say potato, I say potato. Either way, it's an incredible platform that can help us all not only heal, but protect us from that which interferes with what is already existing, our future and existing health. Thank you so much, doctor. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs the playbook. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making the playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with the playbook.